On today's podcast, I have Doug Deacon with me. Hi, Doug. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you, Melissa? Great. Very well. It's hard to know where to begin. Doug has been a handler, a judge, and a trainer. He's been involved with police canine training and IGP sport, formerly known as Schutzund. Doug, can you expand more on your experience? Well, I first saw the sport of Schutzen back in 1977, and I could not believe these German shepherds behaving the way they did. I was had seen police dogs before that because I was in the RCMP and Burnaby Detachment. I thought, oh, that's pretty good, but there's something missing. Didn't know what it was. When I saw Schutzen, which is really the foundation of modern-day police dogs, I saw what was missing, control. So how did, when was the first time you saw Schutzen? It would like, have been... Um, in the early months of 1977, because I actually got involved in Schutzen shortly after mm-hmm. that, and it was around April of 77 when I actually joined a club and started training my dog in Schutzen. So how did you, who introduced you to Schutzen? It was actually the fellow in charge of the Burnaby dog section, a guy by the name of Jim Brown. And the reason why I got involved in Schutzen is I was told that I, the dog did not have to be a registered dog. It could go into the sport without being registered. Back then, the Canadian Kennel Club insisted on dogs being registered before mm-hmm. you compete. What really intrigued me was the three aspects to it, uh, tracking, obedience, and protection. It was just so intriguing to me to see these animals work the way they did and want to work and were pleased to work and happy to work. So how did you come about getting your first dog and starting to compete in the sport? When my wife and I first got married, she wanted a lab, I wanted a shepherd. So <laughs> we found a crossbreed, German Shepherd Lab was as advertised. They wanted $50 for the dog. I got them down to $25. Oh, wow. 25 bucks. <laughs> yes. And then that dog was my first competitive dog in the sport of Schutzen, a 65-pound mutt. Wow. And how did you guys do? Uh, not badly. <laughs> we, um, 1980, won the uh, USA Championship. 1981, the North American Championship. She was high-scoring dog in Canada for many years. Um, a dog that just wanted to please they may have said it was a lab shepherd cross. It definitely was shepherd because I found out who the mother was. But I believe there was border collie in the dog also. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. And how, so how many times did you end up competing in the Worlds? The Worlds, I've competed um, in three different occasions at the World Championships. And I've also judged five different times at the World Championships. Uh, been in the Canadian Championships, I don't know how many years mm-hmm. or how many times. So when you were training for Schutzen, just to give people an idea, how many hours did you spend? Like, what did an average day look like for training and how much time you were putting into it? During the summer months, I'd be up at 5 o'clock in the morning to go out tracking before work started. Then at night, probably three or four times a week, we'd be going to the club. We'd start training about 7 o'clock at night and finish about 9 o'clock at night. And then outside of that, whenever you take the dog for a walk, you're doing a little bit of work also. Yes, exactly. I think it's hard. Some people see these dogs and they're trained so amazingly well, and then they want to bring home a shepherd or a working dog, but maybe they don't realize the hours that go into it. And the knowledge behind it. I was very fortunate where people were coming over from Germany and learned an awful lot from them because that's the origin of the sport is in Germany. Mm Mm-hmm. So you also were involved with police canines as well, yes? Correct. Um, I went to New Westminster Police and I was called in a court and I declared an expert witness in the sport of Schutzen. It was a case involving somebody with, with a dog that involved with Schutzen. 
And uh, the deputy chief at the time, who ended up a chief, asked me, what do you know about dogs? And I said, oh, not much. And he did, obviously did some research, and he asked me to put a program together for New Westminster Police Dogs, for the new New Westminster Police Dogs. And that was a bit unique, your program. Do you want to explain a little bit about Yes. Uh, From the Ontario border east, with the exception of the RCMP dogs, they're mostly trained to do what they call hold and bark. They find a suspect. They then bark at the suspect unless the suspect's trying to flee or is aggressive. Out in the west, whether it be Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton, uh, Vancouver, when the dogs go in and find a suspect, they go in and bite immediately. There's no questions asked. They just go in and bite. What I did in New Westminster is I set up a hold and bark situation. Again, if the person was not being aggressive, trying to flee, the dog would bark. I'd have the dog about four to six feet away from the person, barking at him to tell the handler, I found the person. And this is very much for safety. Safety for the dog Mm -hmm. and for the, could be, uh, a person that uh, is not involved in the crime. Mm Mm-hmm. So for many of our listeners, they're pet owners, um, and I think they're starting to get that you have quite a bit of experience when it comes to dog behavior and dog training. A lot of, there's a lot of positive-only training these days, and a lot of pet owners don't really understand the difference between positive-only training and balanced training. So for a brand-new dog owner, can you sort of explain what is balanced training? What does that mean? Well, let me, let me first of all say uh, the positive training only, and I want to s- emphasize the word only. That's not quite the way training should be. Uh, let me also say this. What goes through life without consequences? And I think that's something we should look at, is what goes through life in this world without consequences? And think about that. So... We should be very bright as trainers to do what the dog's needs are. And sometimes the dog may need to be corrected. But I have the saying, and please don't take this literally. I have the saying to, to try and get people to understand. You can hit the dog over the head with a hammer. But boy, you better be able to tickle that dog with a feather afterwards. And I'm, I, that's not literal. It's a, just a saying. Mm-hmm. But it means if you correct the dog, you better be able to praise the dog too. Well, there's your balance. Correct the dog for misbehavior. Mm-hmm. Positive training is correcting the dog for good behavior. Exactly. And a trend I see a lot with a lot of my training clients is they're giving so much love and affection, like on a scale of one to 10, love and affection is a 10, but consequences are more like on a one. So there's, it's, it's way out of whack. I'll, I'll give you a little example. I happen to be driving through Westminster, nothing to do with police work. And this is probably three, four or five weeks ago. And there's a lady on the sidewalk with her little white dog and another person with a dog. The little white dog is just barking crazily at this other dog that's just sitting there not doing anything. And the lady, I can see the lady just trying to feed the dog. Mm-hmm. Feed the dog to try and get rid of that behavior. Well, if that's what you're doing for positive only, you're actually reinforcing that behavior because it's getting praised through food for that behavior, mm-hmm. which doesn't make sense to me. Exactly, because you're rewarding something that you don't want. It's a behavior you don't want the dog to do. Absolutely. And that brings me to, there's also equipment. A lot of people now also have dogs like that that are reactive to people or reactive to dogs, and they've got the harness on. So they're offering food for that behavior, but it's also wearing a harness. Can you explain a little bit about the difference of having a dog like that in a harness versus a training collar, uh, choke chain or even a flat collar or a martingale 
Well, a harness was built for one thing, and that was for pulling. The harness, the harness uh, with your sled dogs, they all wear a harness. Police dogs, when they track, Canadian Kennel Club dogs, a lot of them track on harness. The harness is made for pulling. Um, and that's exactly what the dog will do. And I had, I had a perfect example of that just in my neighborhood where I saw this lady with a really nice golden retriever trying to get into the park, and she could not control this dog. I asked her if she wanted some help, and eventually I did help her. We got rid of the harness because the dog was just pull, 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 pull. Now I've seen them walking around the neighborhood, both her and her daughter. The dog's just walking beside them, being a real gentleman in society. Oh, that's always nice to see. And that's the thing is these, the, these bad behaviors can be very serious. People can get hurt. Dogs can get hurt. You know, my clients and myself, very often we encounter people where the other dog is completely out of control and people are just shouting out, well, it's okay, he's friendly. But there's huge consequences. You can get into dog fights. They can run out into the street, get hit by a car, jump up on somebody. They can fall to the ground. So what do you say to people who say balanced training is cruel to a dog? What would you say to them to explain some of the... Interesting. Um, there's one client who happened to mention that her husband says, oh, just let the dog be a dog. Exactly. That's what I was getting at. <laughs> and I sat back and said, oh, I got a three-year-old grandson. I guess I'll take him to Walmart. Just let him be a three-year-old grandson <laughs> in the parking lot of Walmart. That isn't going to (laughs) happen. Exactly. So it's not cruel to tell the dog no when a behavior is bad. And then to show it, on the other side, you're also showing it what it should be doing. So it's not just all negative. It's not just no, no, no. In balanced training, you're also teaching the dog what it should do. Can you explain what that would look like? And reward the dog for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I use the terminology, give the dog a job. So we got a dog that's not necessarily aggressive, but interest in other dogs and appears to be aggressive or might even be just playful. Well, here's somebody trying to walk their dog down the street and this dog's just pulling out because there's another dog coming. Makes it very difficult for the handler to do much. Mm -hmm. So my term is give the dog a job. And that job is simply sit. Sit through all this. Everything's fine. You don't have to go running play with this dog or running and be aggressive with this dog. You're going to sit beside me and we're just going to let this dog go by us. And that to me is, is the dog's given a job of doing this and the dog's well behaved. People don't mind a dog like that in society. Exactly. People have difficulty with an aggressive dog or a dog that just runs all over the place, causing all kinds of havoc. Yes. And what I've seen is with dogs that are given a job is that it actually builds their confidence versus the dogs that are allowed to do what they want, but they often become very anxious. Absolutely. And to me, an anxious dog is not a happy dog. We do, we do group sessions where we might have 10, 12 dogs. And a lot of these dogs have come with behavioral problems of being aggressive towards other dogs. Pretty nice to have all these dogs laying down while another dog's running right through them to the handler and couldn't care less about these dogs laying down. The dogs laying down couldn't care less about this dog's running by them. And they go tear into the handler just as happy as can be on a recall. Mm-hmm. That to me is proper behavior for a dog in our society. Mm-hmm. And the dogs love it. Exactly. A lot of these dogs have come with issues of nerve, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. where, oh my goodness, I'm nervous about the whole world. Exactly. When they know 
their boundaries, they're able to calm down and live within their own nervous system. Mm-hmm. Exactly. A much, much happier dog. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Another example that you often talk about, um, and I've heard you tell clients about, is because a lot of people really, really struggle with saying no to their dog. People want to snuggle the dog and love the dog, and I think people are kind of attracted to that good feeling it gives them. So when it comes to telling the dog no, I see so many people struggle with that. And you often give an example of a female with her puppies. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Certainly. Certainly. There's a number of videos out there, and I've seen it firsthand because I've done a little bit of breeding with dogs. The mother, a good mother of a litter of puppies, controls those puppies. It's amazing how the, she scolds them through growling, being aggressive towards them, and all of a sudden, they're back to playing again. But whatever the pup or pups are doing wrong, they don't do that again. There's actual physical confrontation. There's verbal, con- verbal growling, barking, mm-hmm. confrontation. Mm-hmm. The puppies understand that, and they back right off from what that behavior was and move on to a different behavior, which is tickling them with a feather. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that's what they understand. That's how they're And that's up. just what you're replicating, basically. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we've talked a lot about the, the dog aggression and reactivity on leash, which we see a lot of. Um, often clients that come to me, the dogs are around seven or eight months. That's when they start to see those signs of aggression and leash reactivity. Do you want to talk a little bit about how social aggression and how that is often a normal thing that occurs at that age yes uh, a term that i learned from several german trainers back in the 70s and 80s social aggression be aware of it social aggression is like a young teenage boy they're 14 15 16 years of age they're getting close to their manhood they think they can take on the world they're, oh yeah, I can do, don't worry about it. I can do this. I can do that. What do you mean I got to be home by midnight? They're, they're pushing the envelope all the time. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of the dog behavior that happens once the dogs start getting that year to 18 months and even younger. Uh, and that becomes a real chore for the people to handle that. Mm-hmm. If they can start doing some informal types of obedience the sit, the stay in the sit, the the come when called, it's going to make it a lot easier when they go into that social aggression area. Mm-hmm. So you would getting on that as soon as possible is is the best thing to do. It certainly is yes. a lot helpful to you. Exactly, <laughs> very helpful for you in the future. Exactly, and that's where the giving the dog a job and balance training those things you can get on those problems and issues right away. Yeah, let's let's uh, first of all we've talked about uh, about positive only training. There's there's and we call it balanced. There's the other side that mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of too, mm-hmm. where it's just nothing but the dog will 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 mm-hmm. will will mm-hmm. do it. Yes, and the dog is forced 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 to do it, mm-hmm. and that's not good either. No, and that's why the term balance has come up because forcing a dog to do it. First of all, you don't have a very happy dog. You don't mm-hmm. have a very willing dog. And it's not much of a companion, either one of you, for each other. No. Balance is the dog knows what it has to do, how it must behave, but still gets lots of rewards. Mm-hmm. And every dog is slightly different, Absolutely. too. So every dog, that's going to 
be a little bit different with how much reward you're giving versus how much correction it needs. A dog high in drive, whether that's play drive, aggressive drive, or whatever, is far harder to handle mm -hmm. than a dog that's more of a on the dull side mm -hmm. or middle side. Those dogs are, are quite re reasonable as in the way you have to handle them. If you get a dog that's very aggressive, like some working breeds are, you've got to take a firm hand, mm -hmm. but you also be able, have to be able to tickle them with the feather because mm -hmm. that makes them close to you. That's what they want. Yes. They want direction. Definitely. And what are some, we've done some interesting exercises too, not just with using food, but using ball rewards and toy rewards. Um, and also adding control with that though. I've had a lot of clients that come to me and the ball is sort of a crutch. They're like, as long as I have this ball, everything's okay. But the dog's kind of crazy. It's high, it grabs the ball. There's no discipline there. Can you talk a little bit about some of the exercises we do with that? Yeah, let's, let's just mention your ball. A ball can be, or a Kong, whatever you're using for a reward can be your best friend or your worst enemy. Because if you have that ball, and a lot of people will tuck it under their left arm and the dog has to heal, and if the dog's jumping up and going after that ball all the time, that's your worst enemy. The dog is healing properly beside you, you lift up your arm, it gets the reward of the ball, everybody's happy. So you gotta be careful in how you use it. Hmm. We use it a lot with certain dogs for control. For instance, control, the dog must lay down. You throw the ball. Dog can't go until you give permission to go. And it's really interesting watching this when the handler stands behind the dog, you throw the ball in front of the dog, and the dog must lay down. And I'll talk about the German Shepherd dog for a second, because that's okay. what I'm most familiar with. You'll probably, if the handler's to the right side of the dog, you'll probably see the right ear turn first, the left ear follow, and then the head slowly comes back to look at the handler. Like, when can I go? Mm -hmm. to get it and you give whatever command it is to release the down command and away they go and they're just so happy to grab the thing and bring it back to you and they want that they're looking for leadership mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it, that that shows you are the leader and they want your leadership to know where they are in society exactly i love doing that exercise with clients usually once they're a little more advanced in their lessons and yes. then we can do some of that and it's always so much fun do that out of a sit or a down exactly which that kind of brings me, you mentioned some things about dog behavior. I find a lot of people misread their dog's body language. What are some little tips that you can give about reading your dog's body language and what that means and what to look for? Because often I find, so when the dog lunges and barks, I always tell clients it's too late. You've actually missed all the cues the dog has already given. Okay, uh, most people... I should say most people. A lot of people look at the tail. Oh, the tail's up. It's a happy yeah, dog. Exactly. Oh, the tail's down. It's wagging. Yeah. Everything's good. Yeah, everything's happy. Let's go. <laughs> Eyes, ears, nose, head is what you really want to watch for. Interesting. If the dog sees another dog coming, you don't want your dog to get what I refer to as locked on the other dog. You know the, the old term missile locked? Mm -hmm. So you got the missile locked on its target. Yep. So you got to be watching the dog's head, eyes, ears, nose, and what the dog is telling you. That's where the job comes in. If this dog gets locked in on something else, mm -hmm. such as a little dog, because, oh, it looks like a pretty good-sized dog. I can handle that dog. Put the, give the dog a job. Sit. 
No, you're not going to get locked on that dog. Mm-hmm. You're going to look at me. You're going to pay attention to me and forget that. And that that is a little more advanced training, but mm-hmm. that's really where you should be reading your dog, mm-hmm. what the dog's head's doing. Now, there's other times where the dog reacts too quickly, and it's mm-hmm. hard for handlers to see that, especially new handlers, to see what, what's going on. And that's where the control comes in. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the benefits for clients who do seek out a trainer and do training is I find they really get to learn the body language and understand their dog. And then they can be more preemptive before bad things happen too. Yes. So. Yes, absolutely. So a lot of people, dogs have become very popular, especially since the start of COVID last year with so many people working from home. Um, What, tips would you give for somebody looking for a trainer because there's a lot of trainers out there and I know a lot of people that come to me they've worked with three or four people and it's been a bit of a disaster they've already spent a lot of money and things still aren't getting fixed they still have massive behavior problems what are the questions that somebody could ask when they're looking for a trainer what would you recommend well first of all what's your experience level mm-hmm. how many dogs have you trained what type of training have you done what type of dogs have you trained um, what's your style? Are you just strictly going right up to electric collar and that's all you ever use? Or are you just using food and that's all you ever use? Mm-hmm. Well, those are two pretty extremes. Definitely. You want somebody with lots of tools in the toolkit. <laughs> Absolutely. For all kinds of different dogs because each dog comes with their own issues. Yes, they're similar in certain ways, but they all have their own issues just like we all have our own personalities. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some basic rules to follow in dog training we must be able to adapt to what the dog's needs are. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, So over all the years, you've worked with a lot of different dogs, police dogs, shits and dogs. What's your best all-time dog story you can share with us? (laughs) Well, (laughs) there's a couple (laughs) of them, but there's a really cute one. And I'm down in San Francisco area involved in Schutzen. It's a Schutzen 3. It's my little 65-pound mutt. And uh, I'm doing what they call a sit out of motion. I've already done the tracking. I've scored 99 out of 100 in tracking. I'm doing my obedience. It's called a sit out of motion where you're walking. You tell your dog, sit. You can't look at your dog. Just keep walking with the sit command. The dog's supposed to sit quickly and stay there. Back then, you went out 30 paces. Then when the judge told you, you returned to your dog. I'm returning to my dog after the judge has told me, and all of a sudden the, dog's, the judge is walking right towards me. I don't know what's going on. Like, what are you doing? You're coming into my space. What are you doing? <laughs> the judge turns, grabs my left elbow area, and he says, I know this dog. I know this dog. This dog's from Canada. <laughs> <laughs> so that little dog is a famous little dog. <laughs> Even in Germany, because she was just a 65-pound mutt and did so well in the sport. And, and for those listening, Schutzen was predominantly then all German Shepherds, all purebred oh, German Shepherds. Yes. Used to so. be Rottweilers involved, but not nearly the amount of Shepherds. Mm-hmm. Now you've got the Mals and you've got all kinds of different breeds involved. Um, but that's, that's, a, that's a cute story. But, you know, I, a, a story, I'm in Germany competing, um, and I, this dog I had came 11th in the world and was a very, very nice dog wow. in obedience. And... Um, and I would like to talk about the world championships in Schutzen yeah. as we move forward. Um, this this dog did very nice obedience. We travel over Germany. He's now seven, getting up in age. He's doing 
the sit of the motion, as I said, he didn't sit, mm-hmm. he stood. Very unusual for mm-hmm. him. Then the next exercise is a down with a recall. Dog downs, I can't see how fast he downs, but I see the dog getting up by numbers on the recall. And he comes into me, not nearly as fast as he normally did, and instead of sitting in front of me, he goes around behind and stands beside me on my left side. And I looked at the judge and I said, time out. And I said, there's something wrong with this dog. And he said, yes, I see that. And that was really sad because what happened, this dog was well known for its obedience. Mm -hmm. And I could just see the crowd building to come and watch this dog do obedience. Mm -hmm. And that was the last for that dog in any trials. And that was a real sad moment Mm. for me because the dog, as I said, had come 11th in the world. Yeah. Uh, It it was a wonderful dog that I got from Germany at 10 weeks of age. it is what it is, I guess. That's so, so it was just his age at that His time. age got to him and the back was gone. Uh, yeah. How old was he? Do you remember? Uh, I think he was about seven or eight at the time. Seven. Uh, I think he was seven. Yeah. yeah. So what yeah. is an average age of retirement of Schutz and Dogs usually? Uh, right around that time. Right around that yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've, we've had some beautiful dogs here in, in, for the sport of Schutz in, in, uh, in the Vancouver area. There's a West Coast German Shepherd mm-hmm. Dog Club. There's a Delta Schutz and Club. Mm-hmm. There's, there's several clubs here and... People have been very successful yes. at world championships and in Canada and mostly from the Vancouver area. And I don't think we mentioned it, but you also judge as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I got my license in the 80s. And my license was a Canadian license and also a German license. The German license allowed me to judge any place in the world and the Germans would recognize it for their breeding program. Mm-hmm. And it took me all over Europe. It also took me to Bogota, Colombia. And people say, oh, oh man, that must have been scary. It was wonderful. The people were so wonderful down there. It was just a real good experience. Been to Mexico many times with it. I, when we talk about body language, I think it's really fascinating when you talk about judging and the body language because of the tiny, tiny, tiny little things that you're able to pick up on. Like you're looking at how the dog's looking at somebody. You're looking at... Like every little movement it makes, it's also watching the handler for handler. Quite amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us, and I'd love to have you back on the show. Can I just end with uh, with one quick thing? Yes, definitely. Uh, I'm hearing this idea that uh, that the dog is not a pack animal anymore. Science has come up and yes. said it's not a pack animal. As I said, I've been to Mexico several times, and it's in the Monterey area where I was mm-hmm. mostly at. We had to drive through a few villages to go out the tracking fields. And the dogs down there, the loose, the loose dogs, what do they form? A pack. pack. (laughs) The dog we have is a pack animal. Our living quarters, when the dog's living Mm -hmm. with us, whether it's your little 10 pound dog, the people, a lot of con, people living in condos Mm -hmm, have, mm -hmm. uh, or whether it's a big dog that's living, that we're all part of a pack. Yes. And the dog's are a pack animal so these people are saying science has come out and said this i don't know where they're coming and that's why leadership is so important absolutely they're going to lead they're going to be a leader or they're going to be led Mm -hmm. we Mm -hmm. should be the leader yes you don't want your your 10 year old kid running the house they make poor decisions when they're the leaders (laughs) absolutely they do yes um and again for uh um, Schutzen involves tracking, obedience, and protection, mm-hmm. and that's the start of your modern-day police dogs. Mm-hmm. Just get this one last word in. Belgium mm-hmm. Railway Police saw the sport mm-hmm. in the early 1900s, and they were the first ones to start modern-day police dogs. Wow. Amazing. Yes. 
All right. Well, thank you so much. And again, I'd love to have you more on the show and talk more about sport dogs and maybe even get into tracking. It's one you of your favorites. Absolutely. No problem. It's been a pleasure, <laughs> Melissa. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you.